Hey everybody, welcome to a Three Geeks interview with Mike and Justin. We have Randy Edelman here, and uh, a composer, well-known musician. So I'd love to talk to you about this. And how, how you guys doing? Doing good. Doing good. well. I'm good. I'm actually really excited about this interview. I was sort of last minute. Uh, you got subbed in. I got happy subbed to in. have you. Yeah. And, I, and when I heard who it was, I'm like, oh, absolutely, I'm all for it because I'm I'm a music person. So yeah, I'm all for this. Who is it? <laughs> you never guess. <laughs> I I don't want to disappoint you, Mike, but uh, okay. oh, I'll be. I'm sure it'll all be good. <laughs> Randy, what got you into music? What was your, what was your start? What what kind of sparked you into down down this path? Um, well, young kid playing the piano. You know, kind of just walked over to the piano when I was five or six. That that started me. You know, that didn't get me here but sure at, i mean I, i've been interested since i was uh a kid you know before uh music was not cool when i was growing up sports were cool you know mm -hmm. so i kept it kind of quiet and broke my arm and my collarbone and a million things while my piano teacher freaked out and told my mother this boy should not be playing these sports you know so anyway <laughs> but it went way back and then you know it kind of uh i always loved it and was basically a you know classical uh, pianist but i always loved listening to other kinds of things and listening to songs on the radio and you know that kind of um uh kept my interest up uh for quite a while you know were you in a lot of bands in high school like growing up the whole deal no no no, no the whole deal no yeah, deal. nothing no deal nothing no deal, no no. deal. never was interested never was in a band still haven't been Never played with anybody else. Here's what it, here's what the deal was, Justin and Mike. Here was the thing. Yeah. The thing was, how was a nice Jewish boy from New Jersey in a family that had no contacts in any... How was I going to figure out a way to sit behind the piano my whole life and never do anything? And I <laughs> here in my place in Beverly Hills and... Yeah, you nailed it. Made yeah. it happen. But I didn't have a plan, even till later on. But that was the thing, to not have, you know, a a normal job. I never did have a job. Sure, sure. And that, that was the, uh, you know, that's maybe overstating a little. But that was kind of, that was kind of in my head, even though I didn't know, you know. And then there was a lot that went on. And I did work very, very hard at what I did and learned my, you know, learned different stuff along the way. You know, um, I was curious because, you know, you, I, in kind of your early days as a musician, you were working for a lot of like pit orchestras and in the Broadway kind of scene and so forth. When did you realize like, oh, man, I've, I've really kind of made it big because I know a lot of some a lot of artists have kind of taken their cue from you. Well, well, no, OK, <laughs> you know, fortunately, and I'm saying I'm serious. It's not like an ego thing. Fortunately for me. I never really said that. And and I still, it's just not part of my makeup. I'm mm -hmm. always, I mean, to me, my life in music, which has gone everywhere and, and everywhere unplanned, it's been a series of frustrations. And you'll go, hold it. What about this? What about that? What about that? Yeah, but I made all those albums. And what happened to the albums? I wanted to be like, you know, the next day, Billy Joel and selling albums or Elton John or James <laughs> Taylor. 
none of you know so that was you know now did people record the songs and did for some reason those albums happen in england yeah right. but i but it wasn't like the you know the big breakout thing and i will have been around people because i've done other things i conducted for people yes mm -hmm. by the way i did play on broadway and a couple of things but that was very quickly uh, after i got out of school I didn't realize at the time that there's every piano player in New York, of which there were some you know, great ones. They all wanted that gig in the pit of a Broadway show every night. But I I did these things and then I did other things. And kind of uh, in hindsight, looking back after all this stuff, I realized, holy shit, those were very fortunate things. Because, you know, there's a lot of people with backgrounds and walking around. It's got to be a combination of things that when the opportunity happens in any one of these things that i've been involved uh, with you got to be ready which means you got to have your musical chops and fortunately i started early now of course it's completely different with the technology and the way some of these people are taking nothing away to their brilliance they just come to it from a different place mm -hmm. than i did i had that real old conservatory a classical background you know? yeah uh cincinnati correct or uh yeah and or... that is you don't you know we don't have time here to go into that <laughs> story because i'm a kid from new jersey right across the bridge so if i was this musical kind of phenom as a kid how come i didn't go across the bridge to juilliard or the eastern mm. school of music well my parents you know they just couldn't what's this guy gonna do i never had the head to put a band together I didn't would didn't have a bar mitzvah band. I didn't have that kind of thing because, like I said, I was just like playing in my living room, driving the neighbors and my brothers and everybody crazy, you know, banging on the piano all day. Um, so I got to Cincinnati, and I'll make a very long story short, but lead to when I went to Cincinnati, which was like going to the moon. I was studying pre med, and oh, okay. I was in the conservatory. It was a crazy thing I was doing. Um, and during my, I guess, yeah, it was my first year there. I, uh, you know, everything, you know, with with everything, you know, it always come down to one thing. It always come down to girls. Okay. So I would go to, you know, the, the mug club and I'd see these bands, you know, they had all funny names. And I would see like the girl singing the band. I said, oh man, you know, blah, blah, blah. And one day I was practicing a, you know, like a Liszt piano concerto in the Loyal Lobby Library where they had a, a, like a big concert grand. And there was this girl sitting in the back and I got done and I took my music and I was walking out and who was it? It was that girl in that band. And she said something, hey, you know, you're really good or whatever that. So I struck up a conversation. I figured this is your moment. And I said, oh, you know, uh, I write songs so maybe you know well i had never never written a song long story short <laughs> you do now i, I no no never, <laughs> me, I, I could write a melody so i wrote something i got some kids from the music conservatory paid them like literally if i said five bucks maybe ten bucks a few string players and we went into the only studio in cincinnati and you know what that was it was in a garbage dump dump it was a studio an eight-track studio called King Records. And do you know what King Records was? 
Queen Records was James Brown's label and Bob oh. Yeah, cool. yeah. Nice. And just by chance, you know, <laughs> so I did a couple of, I had this sort of scam going with these rock and roll bands where I was like, oh, this guy can write down our songs and bring in some like uh, violin players, pretty nice looking ones and overdub them. He knows how to do this. And one day James Brown was in town. I mean, in this studio, there were like women in the back rooms pressing up, you know, the, the records. They looked like they were sitting at sewing machines. This was, you know, and he saw me. And then it was like, I guess a bunch of them said, hey, because at that time, if you want to record like a big record with, you know, bigger than a rhythm section, you had to either go to Memphis, not Nashville, that was closer to Cincinnati, or Chicago. And they said, hey, we can use this, we can call this kid. He'll write the parts out, bring these kids in, you know, their background parts. And all I can tell you is by the time I got out of school, I had a shitload of these records and tracks. Plus, it also got my head into something else. I love mm -hmm. doing it. And um, so uh, that'll end that little part. That's how the Cincinnati thing, by the time I got out of school, um, I had this other kind of thing going on, which I took to New York and, you know, pounded the pavement a bit and walked in and found some music publisher who was kind of uh, said, well, what's that? You know, I said, well, that's it. <laughs> So that's right. how I started, you know. That's awesome. That's that. a cool story. Very shortly uh, after I got out of school, so I was playing in the pit of a Broadway show at night, writing songs during the day, and that was mm -hmm. the one record business, as you know, or changed. Everything changed. It was no longer a music publisher taking a song to a record producer at a label who took the song to a artist who produced for the label. Everything had changed. Now... 99% of people selling records were writing, performing, and producing their own songs. doesn't matter if it was Bob Dylan or the Beatles or Carole King or Elton John. You know, the yeah, business but, changed. Yeah. So you wrote songs and you wanted them recorded. Guess what? You had to do it yourself. So if you could carry a tune and write a decent melody, again, overstating it, you could get a record deal. That was the time of the singer-songwriter. So... That's what I, I decided. You know what? You're going to do that. You're going to try to do that. Again, taking advantage of something you can do and the right thing at the right time. And, you know, I signed like a, you know, 100-page form contract. And of course. Thinking, you know what? I'm going to do this one thing. Nothing's going to happen. And, you know, no big deal. And which is my, always been my kind of mantra. Mm -hmm. And it served me very well. Uh, and so... That's how that started. A lot of people, when I started doing films, think I'm some kind of rock and roller because I wrote these songs and did all these albums. But basically, that just sort of happened by, by chance. It was right. like, what about being a, a recording artist or a singer-songwriter? Mm -hmm. It just was at the time was going on. And I did kind of like a couple of these things that I was hearing, you know, uh, that had these kind of orchestral, if you remember that early Elton John album, mm -hmm. beautiful strings a Paul a guy named uh, Paul Buckmaster who I eventually met when I spent a lot of time in England anyway I was listening kind of that way mm -hmm. not that I wasn't listening to the songs but I was kind of in into that and that's um that's so that started that blah 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 so 
Yeah. Ask, ask me something, you know, because I you don't want me to keep going on. Oh no, I this mean, is all great. Mike Gia the chance here. Oh no, it's it's great. No, it's, you it's can great. ask me, you know, and I'll just sort of then you can stop me because because <laughs> uh it's a funny time now. You know, I'm I'm on here and Justin knows that because I've just in this just done this kind of um uh COVID fun thing that I did all back here, yeah. um, <laughs> which I haven't done in years in that I've been scoring films and doing big orchestra scores and stuff. Right. And suddenly I did this really, uh, it's a different kind of song, but I haven't done it in years. And that's kind of why we're here. But it seems that when I talk to people now, it's like they, I'm happy to talk about it and I feel great about it, yeah. but it's all like, well, hold on a second. Let's go back a little ways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway. Well, I mean, if anything, that could be the segue for this is I'm very curious, like, yeah, since we've had to kind of, in a way, like confine ourselves in the past year and a half. And so how much has that really affected not just your process of scoring, but like you said, composition and recording overall, like, do you find you have to truncate a lot more into the day or do you find you have a lot more leeway in your schedule for it? No, because um, in the last, though, two or three years after doing it's hard for me to say i have to kind of go gulp 25 years of non-stop film scoring no songs no time to write songs no interest in writing songs my job with the director is to enhance uh whatever scene and his film with with what he needs musically to support the style the emotion the story the characters that's that's what i do and i'm completely into it um some people that i know well will say hey how come you didn't write a song for this or that that's not my the last thing a director wanted to hear is me saying i have an idea to write a song to that theme that that you know now they, they don't do that anymore there are no songs in movies they're finished records that someone comes in at the end and they put it in a scene or an end credit i think once in a while maybe not but that that's generally it so um so the answer to your question is um I it didn't affect me too much uh, now because I started doing some other things. Now it's not that I decided to sit sit down when we weren't supposed to go out because I couldn't go to Abbey Road in London and record a score the way I'd done many times in the last 10, 15 years. It's not like I decided to sit down and write this fun thing about when we're all gonna be let out and coming out the other side, this new single. Um, but I, I, I was open to doing different things. I wrote some very serious, um, uh, string quartets and I, I did a, uh, independent film for Netflix and, you know, I did some things basically I could do them all here. They obviously weren't things that involved, um, other, other people too much. And I had gotten around to a place where I could pretty much pull off most things right here in my little hovel here in my bunker i call it the back of my house so um i actually had a pretty good time doing a number of um of things i even did the um what was it oh the the sequel to a film years ago a really good film called backdraft and i did the sequel to it um to be honest with you it wasn't that great but that's you know not and, and you know, we won't tell them. Yeah, you know, no, they they they, they don't care. And the people, uh, 
they, they don't. And, and you know what? I don't care. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I did stuff. You know, I did stuff back here. I wasn't going to, uh, you know, to London to do um, orchestral scores and stuff. I was here. So it, it was kind of uh, interesting. And I would have never, ever, ever, ever done this single that's out now that people seem to enjoy and having fun with that's much different than anything that I had done. It's kind of a, a track that sounds like a, a record of Buddy Holly's uh, 1957 record, Peggy Sue. Now, it doesn't really sound like that, but it has a kind of rolling 16th feeling of that. So, you know, that's just one thing that I wouldn't have done if I wasn't sitting back here, you know. Why would I have done that? I don't know. So was it just a crime of opportunity then? Was it just like, hey, I'm going to write this single? Oh, no, 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 it wasn't. No, I mean, it was an idea that came to me at night late, which okay. often, especially when I'm scoring films, I'll be working on a scene all day and like you get to the end and, and you know, you're on a time schedule usually. Um, and it's like, I think the cue, I spent a whole day on one scene. I think it's good, but there's this one area it's not too good. And in the middle of the night, in bed close a few steps from where we are now i'll maybe come up with an idea and i'll run out here because it's easy to do and this is how that happened i i had this idea uh in my head about um what's the chorus uh take a good look all around let your you know uh, that when this is over we could just run out grab your coat put your best suit on it's basically the song, by the way, is not really called Coming Out the Other Side. It's really the good title is Grab Your Hat, Put Your Best Suit On. That mm -hmm. should be the title of the song. But, of course, they didn't think, what's that? Um, anyway, but, yeah, it was a fun thing. Then I came out, and I really, I came up with that Peggy Sue buddy, this idea of a, of a way that it, I could track it. In no idea, in, in my mind was never, this could be a record. This is a single. No, it was just this thing. And I had time and I screwed around with it. And finally, I said, you know what? Uh, really do this with me that you better sit down. You better sequence all my parts, you know, on my stuff back here, like you're, you're doing something serious. And that's what I did because I knew in order to pull off the feeling, it wasn't a piano vocal. It wasn't just a, a, a few chords. I needed to... Um, it, I knew it was going to take me days of mm -hmm. me back here batting, batting this shit out. And that, that's, that's what I did, but it wasn't a plan. And then when I was done, it was like, Hmm. So, you know, I played it for one person. That's all I, I and got a good reaction, played it for somebody else. And then da, 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 you know, mm -hmm. that's how those things are. If you don't get out and expose it, then no one's going to hear it. So right. that, that's how that happened. So how did you know? I'm just curious. Like what, uh... For, for any songwriter or whatever, how do you know when you're done? Like, how do you know when this, the I'm done iterating on this song? Um, I think, I don't know. Uh, I think most songwriters, good ones, I think they know, you know, you, look, you can work on anything for, for years. Sure. You know? I mean, and any film score I wrote, right. I could work on it for five years, but if they only give you five weeks, that's how much time you have. Now, songwriting is, is different even if you're doing an album that there's a schedule. But I think generally you've known when you kind of shot your wad, you know what I mean? If I can be so. I, I do know what you mean. You know, totally I, get it. I, I <laughs> it's not too, um, but what's interesting is, and a lot of times this has happened, you also know in your 
gut when you're not done. Okay. Now, the interesting thing that I just told you something that ties in a little, and then we'll move to then. Um, I just told you something about the title of mm -hmm. this song. What yeah. really is a cool title? Grab your hat in parentheses, put your best suit on. You'll say, boy, that's a silly title. No, that's what that's what it's about. Mm -hmm. When this is over, what are you gonna grab? You know, I can almost see a video of a hand coming out grabbing a funky hat, and you, you know. Um, but here's the story about that with titles. Um, and working somehow to something I just said. Years ago, I wrote a song. I took it, I had a, a little publishing deal. I took it to the guy, you know, the big honcho guy at the publishing company. And I, I played him the song and I told him what the title was. And he said, no, 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 no. That's a bad title. You keep repeating the same chorus. And it was kind of completely unlike this, the single I just did. It was a big ballad, which I wrote a lot of for mm -hmm. different people. Or I wrote them for myself, but other people recorded them. And um, at the end of the chorus always was, when will I hold you again? You know, this very uh, romantic kind of cliche line. And he turned to me and said, it's not your title. It's when will I hold you again? My title, which was never, ever mentioned in the song, was called Weekend in New England. Hmm. Now, at the time, I didn't know that I was going to have a number one record with it about six months from then, by someone named Barry Manilow. Oh, wow. Recorded it, and he blah, blah, blah. But the reason that the guy told me that, he said, I have a story. The story, you know, I'll make it short, was that he had a, a friend years ago who wrote a song. The name of the song was In Other Words. That's the title. Now, you say, In Other Words one of the biggest classics and standards of war time. The song started out opening line, fly me to the moon. That's the song. <laughs> but at the end of line, in other words, ah, bah, bah, bah. and he called in other words. And the guy said the guy lost out on a lot of money and royalties because they didn't report it. Years later, when Frank Sinatra is singing, fly me to the moon, blah, 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 blah. And then they retitled it. So anyway, the guy told me that. And it just reminded me when we were just talking about that other yeah. title. But me, like a schmuck, I stuck to my guns. I said, no way. It's weekend in New England. And I stuck to that. Mm -hmm. And the reason that I got away with it so easily with the publisher is at the time, there was an R&B record by a group called the Three Degrees called When Will I See You Again? When Will I See You Again? By those great guys from Philadelphia, Tommy Bell, the stylistics, that kind of thing. And so I said, can't call it When Will I Hold You Again? It's too much like When Will I See You Again? And they said, well, that doesn't matter. You can't copyright a title, but I got away with it and kept it. <laughs> and glad I did. Yeah. Yeah, because that would go on to become like a big billboard topper in like the mid seventies, correct or late seventies? Oh 70s. yeah, that was yeah, it was like oh, was it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and he was that was when uh, he had just done you know a couple of I write the songs and Mandy those good mm -hmm. records that he did at the beginning, and so yeah, yeah, it was a, it's a standard you know, but um, so maybe I don't get reported or something, but it was okay. <laughs> and this is you know this is all pre 
any film scoring or yeah. any right. of that. So I kind of had a couple of a lot of times I'm uh I've been accused of being the son, seriously, many times, of that guy, the Randy Edelman who did those albums and wrote all those songs mm -hmm. in the 70s. And and like when I went to Australia to do the Olympics in like 2000, and I had by then I was writing the theme for NBC and right. I had lots of scores. They, because I had been to Australia after I had a couple of hits in England, and they they couldn't conceive that I was the same person. I said, hey, I was 23, 24, 25, and now it's 25 years later. It's not a big deal, but people just don't. It's like they really uh, pigeonhole you. Yeah, they have an image already of like oh, yeah, no, who these songwriters it, are supposed it, to be like. Different thing. And I even went through that in within it becomes very uh peculiar and specialized even in the film scoring world when i started when i got my even though i had scored a couple of things over the years when i started the big time stuff were comedies and you know big comedies yeah i and, saw billy madison on there yeah big well, stuff right? no 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 billy madison. Early... no no that's a little Zero. Okay, fair enough. That's fair. Yes. No, 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 no. It's big to me. I'm, no, no. It <laughs> is big time, my darling. Even today, I will. I'll. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna go into that quickly, and I'm glad you mentioned that. Okay. Okay. So, and it works out perfectly with what I'm saying. If you have time. No. Yeah, all perfect. the time, in the world, my friend. No. What I just said. So anyway, long story. Obviously, there's a story about. You don't just decide to go from being a songwriter, but no matter, you know, if, how good a musician you're, you can't just say, oh, I'm going to go into film scoring. Okay. It, it, first of all, it doesn't happen. And if it's the small chance that it does happen, it takes a long time. I did a million musical things that prepared me. Remember a series called MacGyver? That was my show. That was my series. I did the pilot. I played everything myself. And that one little thing i did a bunch of things but they would have led really nowhere without a guy by the name of ivan reitman ivan reitman produced and animal house directed meatballs and stripes and ghostbusters and all stuff now i had no business being even talked about it in the same breath this is a big hollywood guy i had been doing lots of things but nobody knew who i was um but there was a movie called twins Twins was a big concept picture yeah. with two huge stars at the time, Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Really, actually, a really great concept if you could pull it off. If you told someone the story and they'd say, what? First of all, they look, they, this is, a, it sounds silly and they don't look alike. So how are you ever, anyway, they made the movie. The composer hired to do it was one of my idols, the great, great French composer, Georges Delarue, one mm -hmm. of the greats. They started doing, and I wasn't around, I didn't know the, um, the exact story, but they got to a point and Ivan Reitman decided, you know what, we need for this other character, this ne'er-do-well, you know, scumbag, Danny DeVito, it's got to be something different. Delarue created this wonderful atmospheric music from the beginning of that film, which talks about this brilliant guy who was raised on an island, and that's the Schwarzenegger character. Even though he becomes quite funny, 
he he was this genius meanwhile unfortunately during the this experimental delivery all the bad stuff went in this other you know embryo that was devito that was sort of the story sounds horrible but that that was yeah. so when the when the movie opens there's a scene and they 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 have this beautiful beginning that delarude's great it's the music's fantastic and then cut to this guy stealing a car jumping out a window and of course it's devito and so they wanted something much different and what happens like i said before there always has to be a little even the right place right time mm -hmm. 20 years of work there has to be luck i scored a little 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 picture that no one ever saw for something that ivan reitman was the executive producer on wow. and so somebody heard about something and they said oh god and they were talking about it. he said you got to call this guy right now who just scored our film and that's how I met Ivan. I was supposed to do a, a, a small amount. And then, of course, and I would have done it gladly. This was a big thing and I would, didn't matter. I'd done it for nothing if it was two cues or, but it ended up, one thing led to another and I ended up writing more than half the music and they had to give me co-credit, which is unheard of. You, there are no co-credits. Now you'll, you'll see, oh, today there's this, but at that time, especially on a big movie, it was either one guy's score got thrown out and someone replaced him or, you know, that's the way it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's what happened. I came in, then Ivan asked me to do Kindergarten Cop and Ghostbusters 2, and suddenly I'm doing these big, you know, big blockbuster Hollywood comedies. But then also I started being called for... Uh, they were kind of really uh, big orchestral scores. And by the way, the music wasn't necessarily funny in any of them, what I was writing. It was romance. It was action. It was mystery. Very rarely was something, oh, this is funny music. It wasn't like that. Um, and then I started getting calls, you know, for these little things, like a little picture called My Cousin Vinny. Yes. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Now at the time it was like, okay, you know, the, it, nothing, no one was looking at it like, this is gonna become a classic. Just did it, wonderful guy named Jonathan Lynn from uh, England. Uh, then there was another picture called The Mask with Jim Perry. <laughs> yep. Brilliant picture and you'll say, gee, that was a big deal. No, it happened been for my kid who was five at the time and, I, and they had no money To be losing nope okay and oh, there was okay. one white guy on that show jim carrey and when i mentioned it to noah i'm telling you the kid was five yeah <laughs> i said they asked me to do something but they're blah 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 and he said and you know what was going on right then this picture the first picture this guy had done ace ventura pet detective was opening so noah he's five <laughs> years old he and i go down to Grauman's, and i saw like 10 minutes of Ace Ventura, and I said, uh-oh, this guy's not only a brilliant talent, and I was on the phone the next morning saying, yeah, 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 I'll do the mask. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so did the mask. Then 
there was another one in there. I think maybe even a little sweet picture called "While You Were Sleeping" with Sandra Bullock. Yeah, you know, these were all a little okay. one. A little but, one. Okay. No, no, they all became, <laughs> but they weren't okay. And now leads us to Justin's comment. Now, <laughs> by the end of that, remember what I just told you? We talked yeah. about typecasting or blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. It was like, hold on, I'm now happening big time, right? I'm now a Hollywood composer, but I'm not funny. I don't, I want to do serious shit. Well, again, no matter what's going on, there's 50 guys out here who are great, who have done serious films. Mm -hmm. And now I want to turn my boat around a bit, but it's not so easy. I ended up doing it with projects like Gettysburg and Last of the Mohegans and Come See the Paradise and even crazy stuff like Anaconda, which wasn't serious because it was funny. But so now at the end, I'm doing this stuff and I want to turn my boat around and I get a call. Who's on the phone? You know who it is. Adam Sandler. That's Randy, awesome. blah, blah, you know, blah, blah, blah. My producer did this film. You, you, I need you to do my new film with it. It's about this kid. It's called Billy Madison. And I said, listen, Adam, I know your work. I was making this up, sort of. I've seen you sing the Hanukkah song on Saturday Night Live. Remember that? Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I'm thinking, hey, this guy's got talent. Mm -hmm. But I've just done, you know, six comedies in a row. And I'm sure it's a comedy, right? And he goes, right. So he was very nice. I was still didn't take anything for granted. Like I told you way back when you said something about when you make it, I was still a little worried, you know, my mm -hmm. parent, Jewish upbringing, you know, comes into play. Getting the, the where you're gonna eat the next anyway. So I said, okay. He says, do me a favor. We're having a screening in like Tucson or Phoenix in two days. Please just come. You don't have to commit to it. You'll meet the director. You'll see the screening. So I go up to Tucson, and the it's a real public, packed screening with kids. And you know, the the movie starts, and it's just like, uh, I, I can't do this. You know, it is just insane you know he's just yeah. he's out there it's too much mm -hmm. I, I didn't think it was funny mm -hmm. he was just too over the top and silly and i remember i could not sit so about a half hour after it started i walk out and who's standing out there but he and the producer was like i hadn't seen it yet and he knew it i was there to watch the movie say do you like it or are you gonna do it or so i I went into the bathroom and took a pee or something and had to go back to look like, you know, I had just gone out to, to go to the bathroom. Uh, anyway, he was a doll. I ended up kind of having fun with that picture right mm -hmm. from the beginning. It was a little, the music was also over the top. But in, like I said, in hindsight, looking back, thank, thank God I did it. it. You know, now when I look at this picture, if I see it on at one, three in the morning, it could be eight in the morning. I I get it. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm. like, it's like, it, it's a classic along with those others. And once in a while, when I go, which is rare to do these kind of like, you know, masterclass things at Berkeley or US, mm -hmm. I, I go there and I'm talking about, in, in a very serious way about music and my background. 
and a few of these scores, the more dramatic ones, you know, like Dragonheart and Gettysburg. Yeah. And the, these kids that are in the classes, especially the ones that are, you know, like freshmen, guess what? In everybody's dorm, there are three movies. Boy, <laughs> girl, I don't care who it is, what nationality, what color your skin is. They've got Billy Madison, my cousin Vinny, and the mask. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever yeah. form. And I did them all. So what do you think as soon as I get done with my serious music spiel, they want to ask me about question one is you know, one of the yeah. no. it's you know, finally I don't do it for you. I gave up, you know, I just gave right. this is what they want to know about. And you know, so I'll, I'll tell them. But anyway, uh that was uh you know, that was the Billy Madison thing. And and like I said, I'm I'm as a matter and, and the postscript to that was a few years ago i get another call and who is it adam sandler and he says listen we just finished this picture that's really funny and he tells me the name of this picture and it's like it, it's like really silly and dumb that's that's okay so i've learned like don't you know and he says there's a scene in the picture where this poor schmuck who works in a mall this big fat guy goes <laughs> home with his daughter he his daughter has put him online to get a date and he, he was down to like the last thing or he couldn't afford to go on the the site anymore to get a date and he's he the he gets turned down and in the background they start playing a song and wouldn't you know it the song is a sad song. When will I hold you again? Weekend New England using the Barry Manilow record. Okay, using the record, and you can't not use the record when you do those things. You can't say, "Oh, I'll get someone to cover." No, no, no. You right, gotta, you got to clear it. Yeah. So this. So, okay. So he calls me again. I say, and he says, "Look, you know there was a hit record. Barry Manilow wants this or that, or he does." And you're the writer and publisher and all this stuff. And so come on over here. Just see a little of this because I think this picture is going to be it. And, and I said, Jesus, you know, I don't, it doesn't matter really to me, but I happen to know that Barry Manilow, because I had recently gone up to Las Vegas or something to see mm -hmm. a show for some reason. Uh, well, there was another reason I was there, but I went by there. And I know that he's like pissed off because people are, using his stuff and mm -hmm. which he doesn't necessarily and it's they're all making fun you know what i mean mm -hmm. now you, know, you yeah. can say oh this guy's laughing all the way to the bank but it's not that sometimes anyway so he doesn't just give away rights to use his stuff if if he was calling me and saying we want to use your song will you please go in the studio and do a piano version of it and we'll use it they knew no they had to use the record of that so i went over there and i sat with adam and i watched the whole movie it was cool. It, anyway, won't tell you what it's called. You know what it's called, but I'll tell you know in a second. And it was really, 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 absolutely hysterical. The scene, because it just all it was like this this girl crying. Her father was a sad guy, but it was a riot. So I called up Manilow and his manager, who now is something else in his life, and I said, which is fine, of course. I said, um, listen, 
this this i think in as opposed to a joke this will be considered cool for you this the way they used it and he was fantastic and he said if you think it's okay then we'll adjust blah 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 and i called adam and i said go ahead use the song and then they wanted ten dollars i said you can use it for five you know and that was my last adam sandler thing picture comes out paul blart mall cop and it's a huge picture big hit you know so that's the end of the adam sandler thing but anyway okay i've i've, I've said a lot i haven't said anything yet but <laughs> I did too much. You said plenty. I, uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like we could have like five interviews with you. Yeah, like honestly. You just <laughs> it feels like I, I love the serendipity of that moment. Like it came back to that song like mm -hmm. several years later. In, in a yeah, way. well, I got, I mean, hey, I've got the Nelly number one hip hop record a mm -hmm. couple of years ago. How the hell did that happen? Well, <laughs> it's a fantastic story with that. But those are all songs and that has nothing to do with what I've been doing for, you know, they're just <laughs> things that happened from those albums that i told you at the outset those albums didn't sell here i was a kid i wanted them to sell and but couldn't get in you know never never anything except mm -hmm. some little thing in england but mm -hmm. that was my past history but the history keeps sort of happening yeah and right. um because if you listen to those albums even now and i they're right there in my garage you listen to them god i'm really proud of them I uh, for years I just wouldn't even tell anybody I was a songwriter. They're there. The songs are there. The way they're done, produced, arranged. I had great musicians on them, and mm -hmm. so it's there. You know, as long as you do something and you do it, you know, to the best of, you know, your ability that you can. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like oh, these were just some little commercial things I tossed off because at the time I was uh, there were a couple that weren't that great songs, but most for the most part they 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 sort of continue on and every once in a while something at a complete left field will come up with them and like i said that was before my whole life for the last all these years scoring films which mm -hmm. i've absolutely loved and never even for one second uh had any trepidation about oh you're not making records anymore yeah i don't i'm sitting here writing music and it's going out in a few weeks or months. It's going out to the world. And um, yeah. it's been something really extraordinary. I had no idea when I started, uh, you know, because film scoring years ago was not, I mean, you know, the composer, do you see any of these great old films with these fantastic composers? Their name's not even on the film at the beginning. Yeah. They yeah. credit in a role, really. I'm talking about could be gone with the wind you know yeah it's, one of the great epics is like no no the great dimitri Tiomkin and alfred newman and you mm -hmm. know Bernard, i mean you know it wasn't it didn't have the same quota sort of uh cachet mm -hmm. that it became you know phil um so uh it's uh and plus you can musically um it doesn't really matter what the film is it can be an action film a drama a period thing a comedy a romantic comedy you can always do something original within each scene which is why i like to a lot of times with these guys that's a whole other issue but they come over and i'll always i'll write a cue and they have a temp score you know or right temp score that's the bane of every composer's existence and if 
If it's not, they're being dishonest with you. So they have a preconceived notion of what kind of music supports their scene. It, it could be anything from the, you know, the inception of time mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. to a rock and roll thing, to a Mahler symphony, to a solo, you know, it's anything. And after they put the temp in, which an editor and a director usually do, and they the the studio screens the picture at these screenings. They never screen, screen it. They don't have a score. They have a temp score. Then the, the the I'm the last guy in, and a lot of times these these movies have, God, long histories. Doesn't matter if it's the silliest movie or a, a great movie. They still have these long histories. Studio put it in turnaround. The star backed out. The director backed out. Somebody died. You know, it's just. Right. all kinds of things of why these things don't get the green light and don't get made so now you've got a director who's let's say he's gotten i like movies that score at screenings really low because then you know if a, if a movie scores like let's say an 82 which doesn't sound that great out of 100 that's good therefore if you say, you know what, I here's what you did in that scene. I have a better idea. They they don't want your better idea because maybe they'll go down to a 79. You know, if you don't give the same feeling and mm -hmm. tempo and thrust and style of the music yeah. that you so that's a rough, that's a that's a rough one. And that's what every film composer within the context of what it is how much time you have if you have a relationship with the director which most of the time you don't um right. that that kind of, that stuff goes on and you have to figure out a way around that um as well, well as you know um I, I was just curious i know our friend jason who couldn't be on here with us he was curious about this too is that given that given that context of like where you have to have these creative compromises at times in the process of scoring is there a particular score or motif that you look back on you know whether it's comedy or serious drama or action that you look back on and be like you know what nailed that one got that one the way i feel i could to the best of my ability um well well you're i thought you were going someplace else but <laughs> i always no i like to think that i tried to because mm -hmm. this is by the way this is a collaborative even though it's not i'm sitting here by myself at three in the morning making a, a uh you know giving this picture something that no one else has done so you say well i'm doing it by myself but i'm not because the picture mm -hmm. is shot it looks a certain way the characters are who they are the storyline and they have some temp giving you a kind of idea of what the editors the producer and the directors think can elevate a scene that has um, to drive you nuts. Yeah, well, of course it does. And, that's, <laughs> that, and if you can't be driven nuts and deal with it, you can't do this job. Yeah. Because right. in this job, you have to be two things. I was fast and right. It doesn't work <laughs> yeah. to be fast and wrong, and it doesn't work to be slow and right. You have to be you have to be fast and right. You have to be able to come up with it. The guy knocks on my door. You say, hey, leave me alone for a couple of days. 
so I can look and think that's not the way it works. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here right in the middle of it in Beverly, you know, Beverly Hills, which is close to Hollywood. So I'm not uh, a zillion. Some of these guys live in remote places, but usually they come here when they're working on this. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's a compromise and it's, it's a collaboration. Then in the end, when I uh, write it and record it, I don't go to the mixing stage. That's then it's hmm. their baby. And you know what? What they can do with your score? Anything. And they wow. do. Wow. It's unrecognizable many times. You'll they'll say, you know, lately with the technology, oh, we want everything on its own track. Well, hold hmm. that means you can make it a bass solo when it's a symphonic thing mm-hmm. and only have the basses. Yeah. So at the beginning, oh. I tried. I'll just do a stereo mix and they call you flipping out. We can't do anything with it. We can't adjust it because you just gave us. So, of course, you have to give them. It's a contractual thing, what they want, depending right. on what studio it is. And therein is, you know, basically, I, I learned early on, I used to try to go by to be, quote, helpful because the guy mixing it, he doesn't know what's on every track. I mean, I, we have it on the sheets, but, you know, he doesn't know. Because what happens when you do these things, especially these big pictures, they spend 99% of the time when they mix it film on the sound effects and the dialogue. The music is like, does that music cue work? Oh, you should be happy. It's in. Yeah, but you can't hear it because you're being, well, you should be happy. It's in. So this is what happens. And um, the other thing with the where I said about the, dealing with spotting mm-hmm. also i found that if you have a place in the movie that they didn't put music didn't tempt music and you see something you go oh boy i got a great idea i can make these scenes work better i can put this here and you write something and it turns out i mean write it they sort of sit they don't say too much which means okay go ahead and do it they dare mm-hmm. you to do it. Then you do it. It comes out. It's the best fucking cue in the movie. <laughs> you put it on your soundtrack album. If you get, guess what? The movie comes out. It's never there. Oh, wow. Never. Man. Never there because they got scared. Except, and my best story for this is Michael Mann, a tough character. Last of the Mohegans. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Here's the scene. I'll set the scene, which whole other story. Nobody wanted a soundtrack. There was another composer on it. Whole big story that I always got a bad rap from. I was just asked to do something. It became something else. And then I put the soundtrack together because they weren't going to release any soundtrack. It's now like the best selling soundtrack of like, you know, no songs in it, just a score. So, this thing happens. I get thrown in, sort of like the twins thing, except it's now years later, and I'm a different animal than I was way back then. Mm-hmm. But I still said, okay, you want me to do this, I'll, I'll be glad to help out. Other composer goes back to England, disappears. I come in, my all this stuff. There is a scene, and now all this music and all these scenes are very well known in the soundtrack and all the music and this piece is so well known. I 
the scene was before the shit hits the fan where the the indian tribe attacks these poor english soldiers and this guy who's got a family with his daughters and everything and there's this poor schmuck who's like a young good-looking major in the army of the girl's father who was like the head of the whole british army in that district or whatever it was and the daughters come to visit the father in the fort and the father's freaked out how'd you get here you shouldn't be here like he knows what's going on we're being surrounded you know he didn't know for sure and when they get there they run into this guy who's in love with one of the daughters and they have a scene it's called it was called always the garden scene and the guy is proposing to one of the daughters whose name was cora played brilliantly by a girl named madeline stowe who wasn't seen too much after that that movie but she was great and he is telling her when this is all over we're going to go back to england and we're going to be married she's not particularly into it you know what i mean she's kind of listening not being negative not making a face well we all know that behind this scene in the forest is like killer murder black magua and they're about to completely annihilate these poor people you know mm -hmm. so why am i telling you the story i get the bright idea now when you look at the scene it's like it's terrifying especially the way when michael Mean cuts to what's his name that great guy magua was the you know, i forgot what his real name is it's like terrifying it scares the shit out of you you really don't need anything there but me being just i i didn't tell him because i knew he was like not going to listen i said wouldn't it be incredible the audience sees what's going on it's terrifying just the way it's shot you know you can foresee what is about to happen you know in a short time to these people who are just sitting ducks out there so i said you know what i want to play the poor schmuck proposing his warmth his honesty his uh you know naivete and play what he's saying while you see these guys in the forest instead of playing them because it was dark and ominous enough already so without telling him i went and wrote this thing which is called on my, my soundtrack chorus things just called cora and i did the music and it was just you know it's just like really one of those moments you know when you hear something i knew you know i loved it i thought it worked i wasn't sure does it take away from the horror that's about to happen i don't think so because it's like so scary well in the end michael mann character of characters toughest guy going one instance i just told you something he left it all in exactly as i laid it out 
and it's in the movie and it really makes it really interesting that scene because you're gonna get the other shit four minutes later right, right. everybody getting their you know you know getting their hearts torn out and their their hair you know it's brutal yeah <laughs> brutal right so uh that was a surprising thing about what i just said about them never leaving anything they didn't use and and when you said is there any time when you feel it was i'm not it wasn't an answer uh mike to your question but that's something that it's that, a wonderful story and, no yeah yeah i mean it, tangentially the yeah end, the ending result was of that was how because they thought that movie was a total bust it was a uh, no money to complete it it was mm. historical daniel day lewis had never ever ever been in any movie that had any kind of commercial yes he won the oscar for my left foot and it was great but he hadn't so with that movie was a bust when i was brought into it um mm. and then in the end nobody wanted um they sold the rights off to somebody to get their money back and when they did that i got those people to say okay we'll spend two cents really and do a soundtrack and now years wow. later millions and millions of uh, c days these later and even today that that music is there be you know with that soundtrack and that movie um so yeah it's just uh, one of those you know a story amongst many in this crazy thing i've been doing for all these years i mean you you have done everything it seems like i mean you're you've, you've crossed the the whole spectrum of sound for music and movies and things like that so it's wonderful to talk to you about it and i'd love to talk to you more about it but where can people find your singles and your sound uh, your, your your stuff you do personally sorry i can't talk personally yeah, yeah like spotify youtube audio yeah yeah i guess because yeah but a little, like you know i've always had but i i don't i'm not really yeah there's a website and you can go to all those things okay. now with that single and by the way any of my music like the good thing is because most of my scores are i was able to do soundtracks on which by the way then you get to do the music as you wrote it and you put yeah. it together i don't have to deal with anybody and then sometimes the director <laughs> or producer here and say hey that wasn't in the movie or that's not the way it was done i said oh really uh that studio put it together of course i put it together right here exactly yeah. as i wanted but anyway the thing that's great is that any movie that you like or score you just put it in put my name in and on YouTube that movie that thing comes up and usually you'll see most of the cuts mm -hmm. on the CD so you put in YouTube soundtrack name of the movie my name and it's great you can a uh, surprise you you may not get them all but you'll get many uh pieces of music from the movie that are on the soundtrack so it's very easy to hear like without going through a whole big deal looking for shit and like you said like the expanded like motifs and things like that yeah there's definitely i think especially nowadays like there's definitely a market for being able to just hear like the whole original idea of what the score is without well okay which will lead yeah. lead us because you don't have no time to the <laughs> yeah. end of this coming out next week Ooh. after 32 years you know what i'm going to say okay is my score huge orchestral score to ghostbusters 2 by what label the best label there is sony classical masterworks why you say what, what, what?
doesn't make sense. Huge movie. The sequel's a big hit. What happened? Well, I will go out with this, Justin. Don't worry. What happened was <laughs> I wasn't around. Okay. Ghostbusters, this biggest comedy of all time. I'm not, I'm just doing my whatever it is. Never scored movies or anything. After the first picture came out, they, of course, wanted to make a single. But, of course, what happens with a lot of these things, everybody wanted too much money. Yeah. Okay. So it was never made. Now it's six years later. Now it's come around to me having somehow, in a roundabout way, gotten into this situation with a guy by the name of Ivan Reitman. Okay? So he asked me, I'll never forget, I got to go, he says, come over to the set. You know, we started shooting Ghostbusters too, and I'm like, whoa, you know, really? So I go over there, and they're shooting. I had done Kindergarten Cop and Twins with him, so I was, you know, doing shit. Um, so they made the movie. Now, you can imagine with the five or six years in between the first one and the second one, and that little ditty that was dropped in to the first one, because the first score of Ghostbusters is a brilliant score by Elmer Bernstein. That's the music of Ghostbusters. And then they dropped in this thing, which was great, this Ray Parker Ghostbusters song. Well, you can imagine, by the time that sequel was ready to come out, every artist, every R&B artist, every hip-hop artist, had and at that at that time, of course, there were no more writing songs for a movie and something. People would make finished records in their studios to you know down to fantastic sounding stuff. So I guess there was, I would say, I'm not um going overboard. There were probably 50 songs slash finished records to be the new quote Ghostbusters 2 song. Wow. It was it wasn't gonna be called. Ghostbusters. It was something else that had to do with the script. People were shown little bits of the of the movie, etc. And over those, okay. And when I say everybody, you name them, they did. They were there. So what happened is, did the movie? Uh, let's say they narrowed the fifty songs down to, let's say, ten or nine or eight. Sure. But guess what? In the end. They used the original Ghostbusters song in one spot and 99.9% .9 of the music in that movie is Randy Edelman's music and score. No songs. Except at the end of the movie, when the movie's over and they pan up from that marshmallow guy on the Statue of Liberty, they go into the end credit, in which time they play the seven, eight songs that they picked out of the 50. I remember that, like one now, after the other. This is, now, <laughs> like, this is yeah. a big political shit now, okay? <laughs> There's big-time artists, record companies involved in this. So when they released the, quote, soundtrack album from Ghostbusters 2, what do you think it was? All of those songs. Yeah. Now, at the time, I was like, holy shit, I was just happy to be doing what I was doing, that I had lasted and not been thrown out because that was a, and had 99.9% .9 of the music. And uh, the film did fantastically, got great reviews, blah, 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 blah. So I never made a stink. Not that I could have by saying, hey, hold it. Why don't you put a 
a cue of mine on the album, like what happened with Twins, for instance. But I wasn't about to do that. Okay. Years go by, you know, every once in a while, I would get a call from somebody about releasing the score to Ghostbusters 2. But the orchestra was huge. There's something called the reuse fee. So when, when musicians record a score, they get paid. And then if a uh, album's released, they get paid again. There's a bunch of residual fees. Not that it wouldn't have been worth it. It was just like an added thing. Years go by. It's a sequel. Da, 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 da. So finally, a few months ago, maybe six months ago, I get a call from Sony saying, you know what? And I said, listen, you guys have called me a million times. You're really going to do it? We're really going to do it. They seem to have all their answers. You know, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. I said, okay, because I had to spend a little time. They wanted me to go through some stuff and put something together the way I always put together any of my soundtracks. They're not just a bunch of cues somebody throws on. I do it. Then I get a call. So they said, oh, all the tapes are blah, blah, blah. I get a call. They can't find uh, the score. The tapes. The orchestra score recorded at the Clint Eastwood stage. I shouldn't be telling you guys this. They would kill me, but I don't care. Okay? They look like 50% of the big orchestra cues. They don't seem to be able to locate. Now, of course, I've been through this kind of stuff before. You go through everywhere. You know, it's buried in the desert somewhere. It's this, it's that. Well, anyway, there came a time thing and like, that's it. They had what they had. I said, yeah, but that's not, it's not only that it's not all of it. You don't need all of it. I don't put all of it on there, but you want a good 40 minutes or something, especially like just going back, Mike, to what you said about these people that want the soundtrack. They want, they're these soundtrack nerds and boy, they, and I'll get put down in a couple of weeks when this come out, come, comes out for another reason. Um, so finally, I told them I I had put some music together. And you'd think I have a 15-inch or a 7.5-inch tape from 1989. But guess what? I don't. The only thing I have is sitting right here on my piano. Not now. A cassette. You go, what this is Sony classical. These are soundtrack. No, you can't. What do you mean? You mean the music that you can't find? Well, blah, 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 blah. You know, there is technology now, but a cassette's a cassette. Yeah. You can't, at least if I had the seven and a half tape or a, you know. So one thing led to another, and I was able to re-record which is a no-no for the soundtrack nerds it's got to be the music recorded if it's 1932 and the music sounds terrible it's got to be that music that you recorded for that scene oh there's times time called for desperate measures New York like... harmonic and it sounds perfect exact same orchestration they don't want that <laughs> they want the cue that's fucked up from the film <laughs> edited or something but anyway so i was able to put something that everybody was, won't even tell you, very happy with. And it's coming out right now, like yesterday or something. I couldn't believe it. They released a single. You say a single. Yeah, it's kind of thing like if you order, if you order it now on vinyl or, you know, all the mm -hmm. different things in there, they, you can hear this single called 
the Scolari brothers. This great scene in the courtroom when they these guys were on trial and the pink slime starts exploding and yeah. they look at the slime and suddenly the courtroom explodes and these yeah. ghosts and that's i was surprised when they they i said well what did they pick they picked that cue that you the scolari brothers but then when i saw the scene because they i saw why they did it because it's indicative of the movie rather than something else that may be thematic but is more you know a different kind of thing so that's just a crazy story and i just saw they sent me the the vinyl and it's this pink slime <laughs> it's fantastic it's gorgeous it's you know vinyl with pink yeah. slime and you know yeah. so i i gotta hand it to these people so this is just sh shit that goes on but that's you, it you know yeah we're gonna put that on your wall you know show that right above your bed pink i'm going to i don't have the only thing if you came in this place you'd say <laughs> you have these things up these gold records or nothing zero i have one thing up you want me to show you? Yeah, please. Yeah, show us. Sure. Absolutely. Dead World Catalog. <laughs> this is the only thing that's on my... Can you see this? Oh, for sure. Frank oh, Zappa. yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, sweet. What did you say? <laughs> Frank Zappa and the Mothers with Randy L. Oh, my God. That's sweet. That's awesome. Whole other story, see? Haven't even heard that one yet. So I was about to say, it's like... <laughs> I imagine we have to set aside a whole day for Zappa and company. And <laughs> I think we need to have a whole day with Randy. one more piece of this crazy guy who's the son of me. Oh, no. I'm the son of, I'm the son of, the son of that guy that opened for Zappa. You, you just call you Randy Jr. People throwing shit at me. Get up, Get up. And I have to do like 45 minutes. You talk about a long 45 minutes. <laughs> just call yourself Randy Jr. when you go around and be great. <laughs> yeah. Or just completely rename myself. There you anyway, go. Okay. There you go. In a blast. Yeah, for sure. Where can people find you online? I just I mean, YouTube you said, but can you find anything? me? Yeah, yeah. I, they just yeah, I don't know wherever. I mean, find me to do what? Well, I, mean, I don't know. <laughs> just, anything uh, you want to find you for? Just to bask well, in the yeah, tunes. I don't yeah. yeah, no, they can listen to the music by doing what I told you. Yep. All my been the, the Google search. I mean, you go, you find all those albums that nobody knows. They're all on there. There's like eight of them. Mm -hmm. All that shit. Mm -hmm. Somebody someday somebody's gonna put one of those songs in something. I, yeah. I, I mean, I believe it. I mean, you put a hundred things in a hundred things. So yeah, but not not what I'm talking about. I know. You'll see. Oh yeah. We gotta we gotta be patient, Justin. We gotta. That's right. That's right. Justin, and this guy, where's this guy, Jay? I thought this was Jay and the Geeks or something. I know, I know. <laughs> Jay huh? totally bailed on the Geeks. Mike and I are the Geeks. Yep. Yeah, I'm, you're the Geeks. Well, where's Jay? Uh, I mean, I have a Jay in my name. Send him my yep. best. Tell him I'm highly offended. Well, <laughs> we would love to have you back because I think Mike and I could find a thousand yeah. more questions. Absolutely. We, well, okay. We Listen, you can always, you know where to find me. For sure. You can always... Uh, don't call me tomorrow. I'm no, no. I was I was gonna text you. What's going on? Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> okay. Hey. Oh, but you great. don't. Yeah. Play the goddamn single. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're supposed to be here talking. I was about like, today. I was like, why aren't you pitching this? <laughs> yeah. Play 
need a goddamn single. It's a well, ditty, man. That'll be our exit cue. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And call, uh, call uh, Eileen. She's fantastic. She's like, pick that. That work is great. I told her to play that goddamn single. Uh, yeah. Did she didn't send you the single? No, we will. We will. I'll, I'll talk to Jay. Jay Go has to it. fucking YouTube. <laughs> yeah. Randy Edelman coming out to the Get spot. that single. There it is. You don't need absolutely. And play the dance. Come oh, on. Oh man! Come on. Then I'll come back and I'll do a whole. You're wonderful. Go. Oh, you, you got you got some Justin. Oh. You got some editing ahead of you. That's right. So you got to put that song in. Yeah. Now. Well, right yeah, after the play the fucking single yeah. and go out with it. Don't come on with any of the big, huge, wonderful Dragon Art or Gettysburg yeah. or Mohegans. We're gonna lead in with know, Last the Mohegans. Story about Cora. You should be playing Cora from Mohegans behind the story. Come on, do something good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we got to tell a story in this interview. Right. Like, right. And when we're doing Billy Madison or the Mad or my cousin <laughs> Vinny, I'll we'll play out with Vinny. Okay, ready? <laughs> yeah, is my cousin Vinny. We're going down south. Jay and the Geeks. Uh -huh. See you later. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, Randy. You. You're great. <laughs>